All right, so welcome to episode number 52 of The Space in Between. And I'm trying something new today um, in honor of Veterans Day or Veterans Gratitude Week that is being put on by Veterans Yoga Project. Uh, They are offering classes all around the country and a few international classes as well uh, throughout this week until I believe it's next week. So I think it's about a 10-day span. Um, you can definitely go if, and find out where a local class is at their website at veteransyogaproject.org and find your local class to attend. You don't have to be a veteran. It's to support veterans. So you can go and take a class at your local studio if they're offering a class or in the community and donate for Veterans Yoga Project to give back and um yeah, the great organization. As you know, we love Veterans Yoga Project. And, um, you know, I've sat down with a number of um, veterans um, that are associated with Veterans Yoga Project this past year. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to do a little clip show of, you know, all of the all of the great people that that have served our country that I had an opportunity to sit down and hear a little bit of their journey So that's what we're going to do today in just a moment. But um, what is happening in Nomadland is I just finished up our first Movement 109 facilitator training this weekend. It was super powerful, a room full of women who are ready to take um, the practice of movement to the next level for healing and um Yeah, it was beautiful. So I'm looking forward to doing that again soon. So if you are a breathwork facilitator, yoga teacher, um, anybody in the world of healing and wellness and want to gain new tools, reach out and let me know and let's arrange a training if you're not in the Hudson Valley uh, in your area. So I'll come to you and we'll organize this and make it happen because I what I realized this weekend is that, you know, I've been asking myself for the past year is, is this something, you know, with this movement 109 and having these beautiful women in the room, um, you know, first of be, first of all, being open and receptive to it. And then, you know, taking it to this beautiful, in this beautiful way and making it their own. I realized this is very important what we're doing here. And, um, yeah, I want to share more and more and more. So let's make it happen. Um, if you're not a facilitator or teacher in any way, you can be a part of this new movement 109 on our online course. So we're starting up our self inquiry. Who are you becoming, uh, November 25th. That's happening in a couple of weeks or yeah, a couple of weeks. Uh, so you can go over to the nomad website and sign up for that. It's a six week course online. We do weekly check-ins and setting intentions and videos and a number of other self-inquiry tools to help you um, just dive in a little bit deeper and live a more authentic life. And uh, and then there's Bali, uh, where I'm going to be bringing Movement 109 and breathwork and yoga to Bali. So you can sign up for that also at the Nomad website. 
And um, yeah, and Tribe's doing a lot of great things this week for Veterans Yoga Project, Veterans, sorry, Veterans Gratitude Week in honor of Veterans Yoga Project. So you can go and find out about their offerings this week. And I think even next week, there's some offerings that they're going over at uh, tribeyogamilitary.org. You can find out specifically where their classes are for Veterans Yoga Project. So now let's go ahead and see. Um, we're going to first meet with Dr. Dan Libby, who started Veterans Yoga Project. Enjoy. Okay. <sighs> so we're starting with our first breath, and I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Libby. And um, thank you for being here today. Um, and I've shared a little bit of the connection with you of, you know, this kind of roundabout circle is my father was a patient at the VA that you were a therapist at or a psychologist at. And, um, but we did not know this until I came full circle to, um, the Veterans Yoga Project event at the Intrepid last year. Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was listening to you and I had already been connected with VYP. I felt this connection, um, just serendipitously through various different people and just the fingers were pointing that I needed to be aligned with this organization. And then here you are standing and talking about the kind of the birth of VYP and it started at West Haven, Connecticut. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a sign. <laughs> so let's do this. <laughs> and then our stories kind of have like intertwined and it's been such a journey. So I'm grateful we're here in the Feathers Pipe right now, um, which has a lot of meaning to you. And uh, do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. Uh, I'm always happy to talk uh, about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and about Veterans Yoga Project and about Feathered Pipe. Yeah. Um, so where should we start? Well, I'm thinking we are sitting here in this beautiful space of Feathered Pipe in Montana and... You kind of shared this beautiful story of your journey, and um, and it somewhat started here. So yeah, I would say it definitely started here. So uh, the Feathered Pipe Ranch is uh, located just outside of Helena, Montana, mm -hmm. and is run by the Feathered Pipe Foundation, uh, which is the nonprofit organization. And I have been coming here really for. 35 plus years awesome. <laughs> um, and it is definitely my uh, soul home yeah. um, and my soul family uh, resides around here and so uh, I was here for two summers when I was uh, a youngster maybe seven or eight years old and then I came back when I was 18 or 19 years old okay. and I came back for a week and I was only supposed to stay for a week yeah. uh, but by the third day I called home I called my mom and said I'm not coming back <laughs> and uh, Howard the ranch manager offered me a job in a tent in the woods and I spent the summer in a tent and so you were one sleeping in a tent there I'm yes. always walking by I'm like who is sleeping in the tent right, okay right. Um, and yes, yeah, so I spent nine summers here uh, first as you know kind of doing dishes cleaning rooms uh, worked in the kitchen, 
uh, I think really only one shift in the kitchen. It took me four hours to make a salad dressing, so they decided <laughs> that was not my area of uh, expertise. Like, let's put him somewhere else. <laughs> uh, I was the driver here for many years, and then um, one winter I went to massage therapy school, so I spent three or four years doing body work here, awesome. which was actually amazingly awesome. Yeah. Uh, Might have been my favorite of all of my roles here. Were you, like, I'm curious <laughs> to see, were you just kind of like, what do I do next? Oh, I could be a massage therapist there so I'll do that or was it something else calling you there I don't know I mean the first time I ever had a, a body work was here yeah um and I've always been interested in health and healing and natural okay. healing and I can't remember now what sort of spurred me <laughs> to go to massage therapy school okay. all those years ago but uh, I knew it was my calling really mm -hmm. um, and I've done lots of things since then and I haven't really done body work but yet body work is probably the one thing that I love the most mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm actually the best at okay um, and so uh, that was kind of just the doorway open and certainly working here especially doing body work at a yoga retreat center yeah where especially this place is you know it's got that prana shakti you know yeah. that good juju and and everybody here is in touch with their bodies yeah. and they're doing yoga they're and they're working up. so and they're open and mm -hmm. so a lot of amazing stuff would happen and yeah. transformations um even just on my yoga or on my massage table that i didn't yeah. understand wow like i'm you know 22 23 whatever it okay. is and i don't understand like why is this person crying on my massage table yeah you know and so <laughs> yeah. uh but you know that was my first real experience of of seeing that, you know, our issues live in the tissues yeah. and that, you know, when I was working on somebody, they would have spontaneous memories or mm -hmm. have these emotional reactions. And that to me was fascinating because that was, I mean, there's juice there, right? There's yeah. um, like, I'm just rubbing your shoulder, right? But yet it is touching a much deeper part of your being. Yeah. And so, yeah, then I went to uh, finish my bachelor's degree in psychology and then went to graduate school. Um, so how did you get to psychology from there? I'm curious. Well, it was the, um, well, it was two things. One, I really wanted to understand what was happening to okay. these people on my table. Yeah. And I had gone to three other undergraduate institutions, two other, the junior college, a community college, <laughs> the University of South Florida. You're just trying them out, seeing what's, you know, available. Yeah, I was never, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, the USF I went to and really only uh, enrolled to get the financial aid. Okay. And I enrolled in all these independent study courses so that I could go traveling. Awesome. Um, so school wasn't the yeah. end goal for me, but <laughs> it was something, you know, I always enjoy learning yeah. and, and find it important to uh, keep up with that. And so uh, I found myself 33 credits away from my bachelor's degree and I could go to the University of Montana, get take 33 credits in psychology, okay. get my bachelor's degree, and then I would know and understand all of the deep psychological <laughs> things that happened to these people that yeah. while I was giving them body work. Uh, and then I found out that a bachelor's degree in psychology makes you completely eligible for every minimum wage retail <laughs> job out there. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, if I really wanted to understand what was happening, I had to go to grad school and okay. then learn a little more. And uh, it was really interesting because I went from living and, you know, doing body work, I'd get body work every week and living in the body, right? Mm -hmm. Like that mm -hmm. was my medium. And then I went to St. John's University and their clinical psychology program. 
uh, stopped doing body work, stopped getting body work, oh. and you know went into this world where it's all in our heads, right? Yeah. It's all about the theory, psychodynamic theory, cognitive behavioral theory, yeah. applying those theories, doing talk therapy, um, psychological assessments. It was all very much in the head. It was all yeah. very much an intellectual and, and working with people on their stories. And, uh, you know, that took seven to ten years, depending on how you count. Yeah. <laughs> um, but was studying psychophysiology in, in grad school, so okay. really interested in that body-mind connection. Okay. And in particular... So it started to get woven back in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and even, you know, when I first went to graduate school, my, you know, my studies were in physiology and psychophysiology. Uh, my master's and, and dissertation were both uh, on heart rate variability. Okay. So uh, it definitely, you know, applied. And then really seeing trauma as almost a, um, uh, I want to say a prototype for mental illness, but or you can look at almost all mental illness through the lens of trauma, right? Something mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, but so, um, so long story short, I went to graduate school went to get my postdoctoral fellowship, applied to a lot of different places, including several VAs, because I knew VAs had excellent training programs. I knew that I would have an opportunity to learn more about trauma and the evidence-based treatments for trauma. Um, And uh, really, that was it. And so I applied to a lot, and uh, one of the ones I was accepted to, and I think it might have been the only one I was accepted to, (laughs) was uh, with Yale University in the Department of Psychiatry. Excuse me. And... um, and all the rotations, you know, the, the, the practice or the, the, the training program was at the West Haven VA in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. When that, what year was that? If you remember. That Ish. was 2009. Okay. Give yeah. or take. Yeah. Um, just to show like a reflection, like that's the year that my dad called me. Oh, and really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he had done his recovery, and uh-huh. he was um, in the hospital. He had been, uh, he almost died of lithium poisoning for the second time. And he was and, at West Haven? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, he, I don't know, I mean, he, he would paraphrase things. I don't know the whole story, but he just said, I didn't want to do head drugs anymore, man. Let's not do the head drugs. And then his doctor, and he decided to just take him off. I don't know how fast or how that worked, Mm -hmm. but it was a span of two or three months where he just said the fog lifted and he remembered me and called me on Father's Day. So it's like something was happening underneath. Something was happening at that time. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. So, um, so, and I'm curious before you kind of go into that world of when you arrived there, you said you at, you had left the body work behind like you weren't practicing it or in terms of practicing or receiving, were you finding your way back to it or were you finding yoga? Like where did the yoga come in if it hadn't at this, if it had at this point? Um, that is a very good question. You know, I spent those nine summers living and working here at Featherpipe mm-hmm. and every week there'd be another yoga teacher or a team of yoga teachers and 20 to 50 yogis, people mm-hmm. from around the country, around the world. And it was such an education, right? So for an entire summer, I would just meet all of these people, all from, you know, a lot of healers, from different, you know, physical therapists, doctors, you know, every everything. Yeah. 
and uh, but also all doing yoga. And I got to sit in, you know, and, and you know, learn yoga from like the experts, yeah. like the, the ones that really helped bring yoga to this country. Yeah. Not that I was studying it in any serious way, and it was you were more just like there's something here for. <clears throat> well, I saw I saw how healing happened. Yeah. You know here, and then I went to graduate school. And there was something missing. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was just like, it was just dry and clinical. And there was like, it, it, it very much didn't resonate with me. I had okay. a very hard time throughout graduate school. Okay. Um, and I really almost had to compartmentalize myself or I felt like I did in okay. some way. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. Um, and so I'd seen how healing happens, right? And, and, and yeah. not that I know how it happens or how it happened, but um, but people being empowered and doing these practices, um, I saw that it was helpful, right? And that yeah. people like outside of a clinical context, right? Even working with you know people who were on my massage table and then they're in the yoga classes, and it was their traumas that were coming out, yeah. right? It was their you know they were crying when I was working on their shoulders because she told me that oh I now just had the spontaneous memory of being dragged by my grandmother and you know whatever the story yeah. was all of a sudden it comes up yeah. and is is given space to process yeah it's being space to sort of move through and, and mm -hmm. let go and I didn't see the same results in and of course I was just sort of getting started with talk therapy but it certainly was a lot of intellectualization it was a lot of being yeah. up in the head so when I applied to go to Yale University for the postdoctoral fellowship it really was with the intention of studying yoga like okay. that was what my proposal included is I'm gonna come there and I'm gonna study okay. yoga I'm gonna do a randomized control trial looking at you know veterans doing yoga compared to okay. something else um, and I'm actually thinking back, I'm not sure I was even practicing that much yoga That's at the time. That's what I wanted to ask you. I was like, were you practicing again? Okay. Uh, and so you just knew, you. it sounded like you had this, you knew there was a void. Like there was something missing, as you said, of the clinical piece. And so you just had this light bulb of your past go off and say, oh, we have to marry these two in some way, it sounds like. And I'm not sure it was a light bulb. It was more <laughs> just like a natural, like, of course, like, okay. like this is what these people are missing. Like, yeah. th there's a piece missing okay. to this. But you uh, weren't even practicing it. But, uh, well, I mean, really it really common. depends on like, what you mean like, by yeah. yoga. Yeah, um, in and, terms of being on the mat, yeah, let's just say. Uh, I would have to think back. I'm, I'm thinking okay. back to, like, my uh, internship years. Yeah. And I, I was not practicing. Interesting. Really. Yeah. Um, moved to New Haven, West Haven, uh, started teaching at the VA. So okay. I started, well, when I first got there, um, there was, they were just starting a yoga program for, okay. in the outpatient PTSD clinic and had a wonderful yoga teacher there, but he unfortunately didn't have any real experience or knowledge about working with trauma. Okay. Um, and it dawned on me, uh, seeing him work that, um, and, and the, that it could have been much more effective. Mm -hmm. It could have been really much more effective in uh, just reaching and bringing these tools to the veterans. Uh, and so the program didn't go that well. Um, and so I basically, after that six-week series, I started a six-week series. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm not a yoga teacher, right? <laughs> yeah, you're um, just like, me just... And you haven't really been practicing, and it was nine years, but it was like a very long time ago at that point, it sounds like. Not uh, very long, but like a big gap of time. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, now it's all kind of a gap because it's all fuzzy back in the memory. <laughs> well, it's all the space in between, so it's... <laughs> right, right. So I, I started teaching a yoga class. I called it group psychotherapy. Okay. Um, I think I started, like, now sort of moving to New Haven and knowing that I was doing this yoga okay. research that I started practicing a little more. Okay. Um, so just... I'm just curious because um, I read the papers of my dad, like everything that mm -hmm. he went through, and they had group psychotherapy, and where I guess they would, it was mostly talk therapy. Mm -hmm. But so you're saying that you basically were like, we're gonna do yoga today. Is that what? It kind yeah. Of... Well, it was a yoga group, and okay. like when they came, they knew they weren't doing like a group psychotherapy okay. talk session. So they knew uh, what they were getting. They through. absolutely okay. knew. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just that when I coded it in the computer system so you looked at your dad's records and you okay. saw he went to group psychotherapy it said group psychotherapy okay. and if you look at what yoga is it is cognitive behavioral therapy yeah it is yeah it is like it, it is psychotherapy <laughs> yeah. um so and there was no you know computer code for yoga got it so that was just sort of what i had to do cool um and so i started teaching and the fourth class i taught before the fourth class so i didn't even finish the fourth class one of my vets who had come to three classes said, Hey doc, I have to tell you something. I stopped taking my sleep medications because uh, now I meditate to go to sleep. That was a moment like yeah. that was, you know, it kind of like shocked me. I'm like, yeah. of course I'm also a little newbie. And I'm like, well, you know, you really should talk to your psychiatrist <laughs> yeah. and you work with your medical doctor. He's like, no, I did. I did. Um, but I, that was one of the moments where I was uh, reminded of the power of this work. Yeah. And I, you know, in some ways, that's where Veterans Yoga Project was born. And yes, that is how Veterans Yoga Project was born. And now we're going to hear a little bit from some other uh, Veterans Yoga Project veterans. And we're going to start here with Caesar, who is one of my first uh, interviews back in uh, earlier this year. All right, so hi everybody. Um, I'm here today with the fabulous Caesar. I love that fabulous, I'll take that. Thank yeah, you. and I met Caesar. I met you. Um, not formally, I don't think we met in May, but on the, in the Intrepid event for a Veterans Yoga <laughs> Project and you spoke, um, you were a guest teacher and you spoke and you st told a little bit about your story. And everybody I meet through Veterans Yoga Project, I just feel so connected to right away. So that day I thought, oh, that was an interesting person. I loved his story. He's a great person and spirit. And then our paths crossed again in yep. January, um, just this past, a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And we did, uh, the Veterans Yoga Project was doing the MSR training. Mm -hmm. And you were there as a guest teacher. And I was there as a student. And, um, and then we got to connect a little bit more. And uh, I got to learn a little bit more about you when you got to, we got to meet formally. And um, yeah, and I thought, let's do this. The, the paths aligned. <laughs> the paths aligned, uh, exactly. The interpretive event, again, was to raise awareness for mental health issues, but as a fundraiser for the Veterans Yoga Project, which, as Phoebe mentioned, and we can shoot a link out and all that, is yeah. to help veterans specifically who suffer from any kind of mental health issues and what we do is teach trauma-sensitive yoga and so Phoebe is now also congratulations yes. a, <coughs> excuse me trauma-sensitive yoga teacher yeah and added to her already fabulous teacher training <laughs> fabulous is our day word fabulous today. <laughs> that's the word of the day I'll take it and yeah it was great I got asked in New York City to come in and guest teach 
because uh, I live and reside here in New York City and was like, I'd love to. Mm -hmm. And so again, paths crossed. Yeah. You lovingly reminded me that you were at the Intrepid event yeah. and I was one person in front of about 350 on a yeah. cold June day. It was, <laughs> it was cold. a very rare cold and rainy it day. Was. <laughs> and you guys braved the weather and yeah. hung out and listened to me sing the anthem, listened yes. to me teach <laughs> a little meditation and then flowed a little bit. So I'm honored to be yeah. here. Thank you Thank so much you. for having me. Yeah, and so um, I would love for you to dive in a little bit more about that story because what I heard from that was you're a veteran mm -hmm. and um, you shared a bit about your journey of dealing with some issues of PTSD mm -hmm. and um, it really spoke to me because I don't know if you have heard a little bit about my story, but yes. my father um, definitely had dealt with severe PTSD um, coming back from Vietnam. And so I dealt with that, you know, the repercussions of his own and dealt with mm -hmm. my own as a child. And so, and then, you know, had significant others who were dealing with PTSD in the past. So I don't know, your story just spoke to me about how you were just so vulnerable and being a man and being so open and vulnerable in front of, you know, hundreds of people <laughs> yeah. that day. And uh, it really, it really spoke to me. And I think that's what we need more of these days is just all of us, but sure. specifically men to, um, to come out. So thank you for being so vulnerable. And would you mind sharing a little no, bit more about that? Thank you. And thank you for sharing. I had the pleasure of listening to your podcast in which you shared a story that you hadn't shared often in regards to your father and getting people to understand that there's a chain effect. It's like a chain reaction. Mm -hmm. So all of us have had to deal with something. Mm -hmm. And when people try to itemize it or when people try to add a value to it, we, we're really making a mistake. Everyone up until the very moment that they're standing here or listening to this right here and now has survived so much. So every single one of us is a survivor. Every single one of us mm -hmm. is a warrior. Every single one of us is what I call soaring eagles. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we don't fuck around with chickens. Chickens <laughs> wait on the ground for people to throw them feed. Yeah. Be the eagle that soars, that kind of thing. But with that being said, um, I'd also just, if you don't mind, lovingly like to ask, if we're going to refer to post-traumatic yeah. stress, yeah. we don't have the D. Here's why. Yeah. Post-traumatic okay. stress disorder has got a really negative connotation to True. it. Because what most people may or may not realize, post-traumatic stress is the body's natural reaction to something. Mm. So there's nothing bad about it. Your body will naturally react to being in a heightened sense. So the heart rate jumps up, the anxiety levels raise, and that's the body's way of protecting you. What we will often have trouble doing is realizing that we have that power and control to go from that heightened fight or flight to the rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And that's why we teach trauma-sensitive yoga, specifically yeah. to our veterans, specifically to people who, who suffer from any kind of trauma-induced um, events, yeah. uh, to teach them how to breathe and utilize that breathing system. So if anything, maybe we can be that platform that starts to share with people. Absolutely. We're gonna take post-traumatic stress and turn it into post-traumatic growth. Yeah. But like the minute we start to get rid of disorder, we're getting rid of that negative connotation. Yeah. All of us yeah. have some sort of post-traumatic stress. You and I both, you used to live in the city, New mm -hmm. York City. I currently live in New York City. Mm -hmm. That's stressful in its own sense. Yes. <laughs> you could live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, yeah. and you're going to deal with stress. Yeah. It's a part of natural life. But my post-traumatic stress was officially diagnosed post-divorce okay. in 2010. Okay. 
um, up until then, believe it or not, I was just an asshole growing up. <laughs> I, I, I'm open and I'm vulnerable about it only because I like to tell people that if I can share this story mm-hmm. as a straight male, as a veteran, as a, as a Latino, as a Latin man, um, because what we do is we don't speak too often to what kind of cultural ramifications mm-hmm. exist around being a man, being a woman, being a caregiver, being mm-hmm. a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, brother, sister, all that stuff. Um, but I was uh, physically abused growing up. And mm-hmm. again, it's not something that I think my mother meant to do. But what happened was is her form of discipline was a very, very specific kind of tough love. Yeah. And there isn't an ounce of hate in my mom's body, but she came from a family of 17. Mm-hmm. Wow. She had to deal with, at seven years old, the fourth oldest child, all of a sudden have to become a caregiver, mm-hmm. become a matriarchal figure. So here's my mom as a seven-year-old. Yeah. And that, again, and not just gets tools. passed on, not having the tools, yeah. no one ever telling her, here she is in Mexico uh, trying to finagle and bring together yeah. and wrangle all these kids as she got older. So she became, in my mom's side of the family, the matriarchal figure. So okay. people would then send their kids to her to learn to walk, to mm-hmm. read, to, you know, and I learned to read at four years old. Yeah. Because I got threatened with the belt. Read the words correctly or you're going to get hit. Okay. Whereas on my father's side, you know, the discipline is there, but he would rather sit. We chatted a little bit about how he yeah. would rather talk. So again, there's that aspect of growing He's up He's Latino as well? Latin. My okay. father is Mexican okay. as well. Okay. So mom and dad, you know, uh, my brother and I are first generation Americans. They came from okay. other countries, naturalized citizens here in the U.S. Their whole ideal of raising the boys was education. So yeah. you're going to come here and you're going to go to school. So we did. But then you throw in other things. At 15 years old, I was raped by a 19-year-old camp counselor, mm-hmm. female, and um, that was my first foray into sex. Mm-hmm. So that again, yeah. and here we are amongst the Me Too movement, trying to get people to understand that everyone is some sort of survivor. So I yeah. share the story because yeah. those incidents, not until years later when I was in therapy did I realize and learn Oh, here. that caused this kind of behavior, that anger. That relationship. That relationship. Yeah. So what would I do anytime I got intimate with anyone? I had to control it. Yeah. You know, and I got to a point where I was a danger to myself, a mm-hmm. danger to my ex-wife. And bless her heart, um, there was an incident between us. And two days later, I came back home. I was living in L.A. at the time, and she was gone. Mm. So I credit her bravery mm-hmm. for being able to walk away because how many people stay within that kind of relationship that is yeah. ill-fitting and they just don't leave because they're afraid of the change or they don't have the means or the funds, whatever the reason. Yeah. So that was 2010, and that's when I tell people I woke the fuck up. Okay. So that started me on my path of what I uh, termed emotional sobriety. So okay. I tried to get sober. So that is a little bit of our time with our friend Caesar, who I met at the Intrepid event. I was so very grateful for that that interview. He shares a lot more about his childhood trauma, and he gets very vulnerable. And I was um, very grateful that he felt safe enough to share share his journey with me. And um, yeah, you can definitely listen more over at episode twenty one as we sit with Caesar. 
in that episode. And I was also really grateful that he turned this light on for me. It changed my perspective dramatically of looking at it as from PTSD to just PTS, moving towards PTS growth. It really freed me in a lot of ways when I was unpacking my own life trauma um, of how to look at it no longer as a victim, right, with this idea of this disorder, but instead of being this victim, it really allowed me, freed me to look at it as a possibility of growth and how I can live from a place of, um, you know, turning it into a place of making it into more of a purpose rather than this um, thing that holds me back. So thank you, Caesar, for that. And now we're going to sit with uh, one of my other dear friends that I met at the Intrepid event last year, Raphael, and he is such a character. I enjoy sitting down with him. He was This was the first time I got to sit down with him, and I, I would love to sit with him again and get more of his journey. But uh, yeah, he is a great guy, and let's go hear what he has to say. So yeah, so you're a veteran. I am indeed. And that's basically all that, and you're a yogi. Yes, and the beyond, two of the labels I got, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, if we have to label things. Yes, yes. Um, but that's all I know, and so I have no idea where we're going today, <laughs> which I'm so excited about. Word. Yeah, there's no plans, so yeah, yeah, I mean, should we go with the veteran or the yogi part? You, you are the, you're, you're the steering this whole ship, so you tell me. All right. Where do you want to go? Being that you said steering, I guess we'll go with the military. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the whole journey really began uh, at 17 at the crucial age where we know everything about life oh yeah and we're so wise <laughs> and they said I'm not going to college I'm not gonna do any of that so I spoke to a recruiter and, and they found out like you can get three thousand dollars sign-on bonus and still get to be home I said the reserve sounds freaking awesome all right fuck it let's do this thing Okay. Not knowing that people got like 20000 anyways. Uh, <laughs> You're like, three grand is a lot. That's a lot of money. The Seven, most, 17. Uh, that's yeah. the most money I've ever seen. Yeah. Anyways, I was really happy that I ended up enlisting. My parents supported the decision. and. Uh, was there a military in your family prior to that? My uh, grandfather, but in the Colombian Army okay. in South America. Uh, my dad works for the DOD. Okay. And, uh, you know. So I was like kind of around mm -hmm. it, but never like really in it. But I was like, this is, you know, but I, don't, I didn't want to be a badass. I was like, I don't want to do anything crazy. I don't want to get shot or hurt. Yeah. Be a mechanic like my dad. Okay. Don't have to hurt no one. Don't, you know, people would be nice to me. I'm helping push cars off the road. I remember the first time I told a sergeant that, and he was like, are you crazy? Mm. You're not gonna touch any vehicles on the side of the road. As a matter of fact, you're gonna stay in the vehicles. <laughs> Got it. Because of that naive attitude yeah. at that point, it's like, what do you know? Like, yeah. But I did. I wanted to serve. I wanted to do something after 9/11. Mm -hmm. I was 15 when it happened, so I was like, oh, okay. The minute I was like, once I get my shit together, I'm gonna do something. And, and you lived in Long Island. I lived in Long Island. Okay. I graduated. So you were affected. Yeah. Well, not directly, but no. But you were close enough. Right. And it's it. it's still home, even though I didn't yeah. grow up going to the city and I'm lost coming to the city with a map <laughs> in my hand. Um, yeah. It's yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, what encouraged me to go that route. And, you know, it was it was ups and downs. Like anything else, you find your shitty parts, you find your really good parts. And overall, in the reserve thing, it's totally different. I was never active duty. I was always low man totem pole. 
and usually doing a lot of push-ups because I was in trouble a lot. Like I got good at push-ups, and like and that's when I got to yoga. I'm like, you guys are ridiculous. This is nothing. <laughs> Holding plank. This is what we did. This, You're like, would, I got this. Yeah, they would smoke me for an hour on end, and just like, okay, this is fine. I can do this. <laughs> Power yoga is essentially just a really kind drill instructor telling you yeah. what, what you have to do. And but. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a kind drill instructor. You get a nice press at the end <laughs> class. Um, but that's that's my uh, segue into the military. Um, but I was always a mechanic, and I never, de I didn't deploy until only 2010. Okay. So I spent from 03 to, to, to 10. Oh, seven years without ever deploying and I was like feeling real shitty. I was like, man, like I got this guy's with multiple tours. Like, you were feeling the call that you Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I wanna do something. No, you should be in the rear, you know, oh you know, you, maybe get your rank up. I'm like, uh, all right. Okay. And I kinda lost hope at one point to like I'm never gonna deploy, I'm never gonna get, you know, to really do anything of worth or service. And you know what they say? Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. I ended up falling in love. Oh, love, oh, love. <laughs> I fell in love in the army and I got married. Okay. And love will make you do crazy things. And I don't regret it in the least because it, sh it shifted the trajectory to where I'm yeah. sharing with this. Yeah. That's and necessary. so when we got married, we said, all right, we got to. We got to figure this out. She was smart, super smart. She was in the army. Too. She was in the okay. army. She was uh, on point with her shit. I was like, word, I wasn't. So <laughs> might as well, might as well marry someone that has yeah. the brains, right? You're like she's gonna ground me in some way. Correct. Yeah. And you know, when we volunteered, I volunteered for the umpteenth time. Mm. It ended up working out. However, she got picked for the tour, and I didn't. Oh. And we had just eloped. We had just gotten married at City Hall to just, you know, to be yeah. together. So yeah. that way it's not just dating. Yeah. It's like to show people, like, hey, this is serious. Yeah. And so, like, I'm moping. I'm at work one day. I'm, I worked at a diesel shop. I'm in the back cleaning engines. Just, fuck, my wife's going to war. I'm still not deploying. Mm -hmm. Like, this sucks. And, and it's ridiculous. And she, I get a call. She says, pack your shit. You're rolling. Word? She said, yeah, one of the mechanics uh, pulled some crazy shit on the firing line. He's out. You're in. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And then I'm like, they hit me. I'm like, okay. Wait a minute. Okay, this is happening. Yeah. And reality kicked in fast. Initially, it was, I thought we were going to Iraq. Okay. Uh, which was going to be like, I'm not going to say a vacation, but there were some PlayStations and TVs brought. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was a Taco Bell and a Cinnabon. Okay. Yeah. I was excited, kind of. Yeah. Lo and behold, they say... This was 2010. 2010. Okay. And then they said, uh, actually, change of plans. Frago, we're going to Afghanistan, to Kandahar. And I'm like, Kandahar, Iraq? Because I don't know shit about yeah. the Middle East. Like, shit. They're like, no, Afghanistan. And we're like... Isn't that still a shithole? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah, things got so, so real immediately wow. that our training, the tempo sped up. And when they said that we were going to go to Afghanistan, everything changed. It was like, yeah, we were doing training, but we weren't 
we weren't hitting it like we were supposed to. Okay. All of a sudden, they said that, and... And then shit got real. Shit got real. And I'm like, okay. Mechanic. I was like, I'll be fine. I'm good. Yeah. You were still thinking you are moving cars off the road. No, no, no. At that point, I was oh, like, okay. I'm steering clear of any vehicle okay. on the road. I want to never be on the road. When okay. I discovered what an IED okay. was, I was like, okay. oh, I can't have that happen. I like yeah. my legs. I like everything where it's yeah. at. And hence why I chose at 17 at the wise age, mm-hmm. mechanic. Right. Yeah, I'm not a tough guy. I don't want to be a tough guy. I don't give a shit about that. Hey, birds. And when we get into country, you know, it's my first time with this unit. I cross-leveled with my now ex-wife. And so I'm just trying to, like, get to know people that I'm about to spend time with in I don't know what situations. Yeah. And sure enough, like, I got put in with, like, headquarters. And as I'm a comfortable person, like, a little too comfortable with people. Yeah. And I respect rank, but I'm also, like, a realist. Like, hey, like, I'm, I didn't deploy. Like I didn't, we're all human beings. We're all Let's human talk. beings. Let's talk. Let's be real. Yeah. So the motor pool sergeant had us detailing, like, the, the area, cleaning this. Dude, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is this? I, I came here to do at least turns. Turn wrenches. Mm-hmm. We had to wait for tools. We had to wait for this, that, the third. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I said, I want to work. I'm like, and I told him, like, listen, I'm not cleaning up cigarette butts. This is the word. It's like, I'm not cleaning up cigarette butts no more. Okay. I'm out of sight, out of mind till you find me work and tools. You understand me, Sergeant? I'm out. Okay. He says, Rivera, you want to work? I says, yeah, I, I, I volunteer. Like, I'm part of, like, the the crew of people that volunteer, there's a whole platoon of yeah. volunteers. He says, all right, you're a driver. I'm like, hold on. Look at all the cigarette butts I have for you <laughs> in my hand. Yeah. No, no. Can, you, yeah. Go ahead. Can you, well, just so that we understand what a driver, like, what is that? What's that responsibility? Like, why did that so the, that's, uh, I'm not going to say it's a punishment. It is a job description okay. in the military. Yeah. I only drove vehicles because I was supposed to test what I fixed. Okay. Which I was totally cool with. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. not wanting to really yeah. do, I wanted to be there, but not be, be there. Like, yeah. on my terms. I volunteered, so let me be here on my fucking terms. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. <again>. No, there's, <laughs> there's and, no sorry. And so... He says, like, listen, you're a driver now. And okay. so they stuck me with, they didn't stick me, they placed me with uh, a crew that was doing, um, I'm not sure if I'm even allowed to talk about that shit. Okay. Um, we were, <laughs> we were com- it was human intelligence gathering. Okay. Um, I think that's fair. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, but I was just driver again yeah. with, as a primary MOS, as a mechanic. Everyone goes through basic training. We all know how to fire. I wasn't really great at running, but I could shoot and I could do push-ups and setups really good. So yeah. that was fine. I wasn't in shape. Round is a shape, I guess, but I okay. wasn't in shape. Anyways, I get there, I meet my new team, and the first day we roll out, it was like, oh, this is... It's real. This is real, because the briefing came in, and when we went down, like all the things we had to go through over the day, everything that was starting to kick in, I was like, what did I get myself into? Mind you, they separated my wife and myself. She okay. was at, at CAF, Kandahar Airfield. Okay. 
I was out at uh, at Walton. I don't even know if Walton still exists. Because you were now the driver. I was so now you, a driver, so okay, they put so me they, out okay. at Walton, right? Okay. And when I left Kandahar Airfield, that was like when we finally maybe a week in being there. I remember they had 82nd Airborne left seat, right seat with us. So okay. they were driving us to our forward operating base and then we would train for a few days and they were relieved by us. Okay. And the minute they said, all right, they went hot and they put round in a chamber. I was like, oh, we're going fucking real. This is like real deal shit. Okay. And, and at that point, it was smooth sailing to our location. I was like, okay, not bad for the first day. I could do this. This is, this is a doable mission. Um, and as time progressed, like that became the thing like so wake up set up for a convoy hit our checkpoints go around and all i did was drive i made mm -hmm. sure that the vehicle was prepared mm -hmm. staged and ready to go okay. and being that i was a mechanic i had the wherewithal and the skill set to make it work whatever yeah. it happened yeah and I'm, I'm not the best i'm not the worst but i know lefty loosey righty tighty and that was like pretty much all you really need to know for the okay. army um <laughs> and you'll be surprised not me <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not talking shit, no. Um, but I drove, and, and driving was probably the scariest shit because I made peace. I, had, I realized at one point, I was like, there are roadside bombs, there are IEDs, mm -hmm. and the convoys that were getting hit or on the same roads that we were on, but by the sheer yeah, timing, just, yeah. Or was it dumb luck? Like, yeah. And so I'm like, it, it, that kind of like, at one point I made peace. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to, if this happens, I'm going to have to, if I make it, I'm losing limbs. Like, mm. And it's fucked up. The mind does this tricky thing where it says like, or at least I reasoned it. Like, mm -hmm. let me just lose legs so I can use my hands so I can work and pay bills. You have this conversation, yeah. Like in my yeah. head, I'm like trying to rationalize like what yeah. happens. I don't want to be like, oh, it happens. I was, I didn't know. Yeah. I knew, I volunteered, I, I was like, Raph, you need to know this. I talked to myself in the third person. Yeah. Like, Raph, you, you know, you, you did this, like now prepare yourself. Mm -hmm. Word. And so I was very mindful. My mom always wanted to be in the medical field growing up. She always mm -hmm. read books, you know, had books. I grew up like just, just thumbing through them. Mm -hmm. So it was never weird to me. It was never scary to me, like the idea of blood, like mm -hmm. all that shit, which is strange enough. But it was weirder, like, if I had to work on myself. Mm -hmm. So I always had my stuff ready. I was always super, like, attentive in the first aid classes. Mm -hmm. Anytime the medics were doling out any sort of information, wisdom, like, oh, that's and I made really awesome friends because they realized like, oh, he's not just a mechanic because most mechanics are sitting back in the rear. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of mechanics that were driving. Okay. There, was, there was a couple, but most mechanics aren't. Okay. And they're like, all right, he's pretty okay. Like. And he's not, he's not scared. I was shit scared. I was like, pucker factors 100. Like, you know, I ever heard scared shitless? Yeah. Muladhara Chakra yeah. <laughs> has, has engaged. <laughs> and so I realized like, okay, these guys are cool. They're taking care of me. Cause obviously like I'm stuck in a vehicle that I can't really poke a gun out of. Mm -hmm. So I had to trust my safety to, uh, to these guys. And mm -hmm. when I was working on that mission, it was a beautiful thing. I made the best of friends. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of I still talk to this day. That's great. Um, shout out to Rickert and Suit. Or still talk to a couple of my boys from E4 Mafia. Uh, 
So, so shit. No, let's stop. <laughs> um, I'm not going to incriminate myself on this podcast. <laughs> I have to wait a few years. I think the statute of limitation. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, yeah, so I did that. And then the one thing that blew my mind about that, our mission in Kandahar, the, mm-hmm. like the, the birthplace or the heart of, of Taliban territory, Wow. was yeah. the fact that our company did something almost unheard of in Afghanistan. What was that? We brought everyone home. <sighs> That's amazing. We brought everyone home. That's not to say people didn't get hurt. That's, yeah. But intrinsically, that's 100% wow. success. Given the yeah. risks involved with that, like that I feel like is a win. And in my head, like, word, nobody ever got fucked up in my vehicle, no less. Mm. That's no convoy I've been in. And it's not to say like they didn't go off. Like that's the difference. Like it's the dumb luck that messes with my head. That mm. The survivor's guilt, if you will, like, mm-hmm. was it dumb timing? Was it shitty bomb maker? What, what, what was it? I'm fine, I'm here, but it's just yeah. like, yikes, right? So yeah. when we came home, you know, the transition was- I'm sorry, how long was this mission? I'm sorry, so it was a total of, my entire time in Afghanistan was 10 months. Okay. I did that uh, human intelligence gathering for like, but again, just driving for three months. Okay. After that, I was on just daily uh, patrols okay. with the MPs. Because I was with the MP company and... What's an MP? Sorry. Military police. Apologize. Okay. Yeah. So I was with the military police, the 372nd MP company. Um, I had just cross-leveled from New York. We were all in the same, like, under the same brigade. Okay. But I was rolling with those guys and they were just kind of giving me on-the-job training, essentially, which okay. was great. They took me under their wing. Yeah. You know, these guys were just like, all right, come here, stupid. We need to help you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you to die on our watch. Come here. Yeah. And they really did. You know, like, these guys, you know, took their time out of their mission to show me, hey, like, this is what we... Not only is it we want you to perform, but we want you to do this for yourself just for your own good. I was like, all right, cool. Because you can do basic training, but it was fucking seven years at that yeah. point. Or something like, no, like six years. Like, things don't stick for that long. Yeah. And especially if you don't use it regularly. So yeah. on-the-job training happened. And that was kind of the rest of the, the deployment for me was mm-hmm. just patrols, patrols. Patrols. And hoping that, you know, nothing really did happen. Because that's yeah. for me. Because again, yeah. I wasn't trying to get fucked up. <laughs> You're like I'm a volunteer. Yeah, please. Let's come I, back to this. I wanted to yeah. chill. So yeah. it was crazy, crazy, crazy experience overall. Because mm-hmm. for me, like the amount of we didn't have to sustain the amount of contact that a lot of troops, uh, a lot of uh, units did out there, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, I'm lucky. Like, I feel blessed that we didn't, didn't have to suffer like that. There's uh, that documentary, Restrepo. Those guys absorbed, like, 25% of all fighting in a place this big. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. 25% of the fighting for the whole fucking war was with yeah. th- at that place. And I'm like, knock on wood, whatever, tree, yeah. anything, because mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm cut from that same cloth with those folk. Mm-hmm. And... So that's a little bit of our time with Raphael. I was really grateful that he was so just open and honest 
and he's very authentic about his experience in Afghanistan. And you can hear the whole episode with him on uh, episode 30. It was back in April. And yeah, thank you, my friend, for sharing all that if you're listening. And so, uh, yeah, now we're going to go and sit with Mike. And I met Mike in person at the Veterans Yoga Project Summit this summer, August and September. And um, he's going to share a little bit about his experience of finding um, what his involvement is in Veterans Yoga Projects. So here we go and meet Mike. I love the Veterans Yoga Project. I started off just as a teacher doing fundraising classes, and then I got more involved in the regional level. And now I'm on the board of directors helping shape uh, the vision of the future of how we can get uh, mindful resilience and recovery uh, to veterans, families, and communities. And it's something that I never would have imagined I'd be doing probably just five, seven, ten years ago. Um, Like most of the good things in my life, I kind of stumbled into it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Unintentionally. Um, I served eight years on active duty. I I bounced around. In which branch? I was Army. Okay. I I was a judge advocate in the Army on active duty for eight years. I... um, I served you know, here stateside or CONUS, and then I served overseas when I deployed to Afghanistan. Um, and when I transitioned off active duty, you know, I still like to maintain the the physical aspects, mm-hmm. you know, of a military life. I like to run and lift and play sports. Um, you know, my body was starting to catch up, and the knee started hurting a little bit, back started mm-hmm. hurting a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps too many ruck marches. Um, so there was just classes at the gym offered yoga and people were like, Oh yeah, you should give that yoga a shot. You know, but you kind of have the idea that it's, you know, for flexi bendy people, mm-hmm. um, you know, they can wrap <laughs> their legs around their heads and, um, or it's this like mystic tradition that mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about. Yeah. And so, but like, they're like, Oh, it's the gym. Go try it. And so I did. And I liked it. It was fine. Like I recreationally did yoga. It had like really good physical, uh, benefits. But then I also noticed when I was going through, um, some transitions in my life, um, you know, with, um, you know, having a a failed or failing marriage, uh, professional transition, you know, from active duty to civilian. Um, and then also representing military, um, and veterans or service members and veterans, in court, I started to realize that this, you know, yoga stuff was not only benefiting me physically, mm-hmm. um, but it was benefiting me mentally yeah. and emotionally. So just in terms of a timeline, you were just doing the physical practice at the right. gym and then mm-hmm. all, of, and you pulled up your, your favorite book today when things fall apart. Yeah. So it sounds like some yeah. things were falling apart, but then you were yeah. lear- learning to lean on this tool of yoga Right. In other ways. That's exactly it. It kind of... It's like almost there for you. Like it's going to be needed at right. some point soon in a different way. Exactly. It was almost as if it was planting the seeds. Yeah. And if you'd asked me, because I'm 38 years old now. Yeah. And if you'd asked me like at 26 or 30, 
probably wouldn't have read, probably wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. But then I was also studying a lot of, you know, other traditions, uh, like Stoicism, um, and other Eastern philosophies like Buddhism Mm -hmm. and Taoism. At the same, it's actually kind of funny because at the same time, as I'm doing like the physical practice of mm-hmm. yoga and like not even connecting them. Oh, I see. So and you were then, doing all this on the side and then, right. and then, oh, it was like very like compartmentalized. Yeah. You know, I've I'm noticed reading, that about military. You are compartmentalized. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here reading like Man's Search for Meeting, you know, by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reading like Marcus Aurelius, um, you know, starting to learn a little bit more, you know, about Buddhism and getting a Dhammapada. Um, at the same time, I'm at the gym, you know, doing these movement practices. And we go, wait. Uh, I started working with some teachers that are really, like, emphasizing this this breath stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to be in a room and we're going to think about our breath. Yeah. And we're going to notice our movement. And then I think at that time, the best part about yoga was leaving my cell phone. Yeah. Outside. Hour, yeah. Hour 15 minutes or whatever. You know, I wasn't yeah. taking in that stimulus. Yeah. Um, and I, so... I had the connection. I was like, I want to teach it and I want to teach it to veterans and people that need it. Okay. And that's been my connection with the Veterans Yoga Project. I love it. And so what was, how, how long was that time period that you're saying? Um, it happened relatively quickly. I, I recreationally practiced yoga probably from like 2014 to about like 2000. Like 16. Okay. And then I started, you know, reading, you know, about some teachers uh, and reading um, the teachings of like Michael Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some other um, Buddhists, like practitioners like Thich Nhat Hanh, Pema Chodron, mm-hmm. um, and like connecting. It. And then so I took a deeper dive into, you know, what we call the, the eight limb path, yeah. you know, the deeper uh, meaning of mm-hmm. yoga, you know, that it's union, it's, we're all connected and yeah. exploring that deeper, probably about like 2017. And then that's when I was like, okay, you know, I want to take a teacher's course. Awesome. And, um, and at that time I was still really drawn to like the physical mm-hmm. practice. So, so like my entryway into yoga was like the power of vinyasa. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to be hot <laughs> and really physically challenged um, and then over time it's evolved and now I teach yeah. a bit, uh, more of like a gentle hatha. Um, I do some restorative, yeah. but I'll still do a vinyasa class or two. Yeah. But that's great. Yeah. I know I've definitely shifted. I came through the physical door too. Yeah. So I've shared a little bit right before of how I was a dancer before. And so that was my entry to yoga too, was more of like a PT, like my physical therapy. And, um, and then I thought, oh, my brain is shifting. Oh, I'm not so <laughs> emotional all the time. Hmm. And then things fell apart for me yeah. too. Yeah. And in various ways, like there were a couple of different periods yeah. in my life. But yeah, it, and then you, I just kept yeah. going deeper and deeper and seeing yeah. like living the eight limbs rather than just, yeah. oh, there are these eight limbs. Yeah, it's actually living in them. Yeah, so, and like you mentioned, it's you can catch evolution. that... Sorry, it's a beautiful evolution. That's it all. is. Yeah. It is. And it's like realizing that it is a resolute evolution resolution. Mm-hmm. I guess it could be. Both. There we go. <laughs> the evolution resolution. Mm-hmm. There we go. We just created something. 
Our new mantra. There you go. I'm going to get a tattoo on my back. Yes. Um, but when you realize it is like that transition. Yeah. And you realize that it's this practice that can help you pause and come to that realization you know, that things are going to be in flux yeah. and that things will be groundless. And then when you can look at, you know, whether it was, you know, my you know, dealing with prior issues from the military, mm-hmm. dealing with stuff from my um, legal practice of representing defendants or criminal court or, you know, personal issues, you know, with, with uh, a divorce, like it just gives you that one maybe second of awareness yeah, and allowing yourself to like be with the emotion versus like shoving it down yeah, or shoving it away. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like that was eye opening and that's when I was just like, okay, I need to do like a deeper study and examination and hopefully spread the, spread the good stuff. And you are, I mean, yeah. you have your, you have this, um, way through veterans yoga project. Mm-hmm. And then what you were just sharing with us, you did, you just did a two hour right. workshop with us of, you know, talking a little bit about, um, the justice involved, is that the right word? Justice involved veteran. Yep. Bingo. And, justice involved veteran. Yeah. And how you are offering these services in some other way. Right. Um, and, and then you also have, which is kind of leading, which kind of led you into your new nonprofit on your own. Right. right? Yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what that looks like? I do. It's called Karuna community, Minnesota. And can I go back of course. to Veterans Yoga Project? Because yeah. with the <laughs> so what we're seeing is over generations we haven't learned our lessons as yeah. to and I'm not sure the red if there ever can be a, a a way to perfectly reintegrate service members back home from war yeah. or help heal people from trauma, you know, from other sources uh, when they're in the military. But one of the big issues we have um, in our country is our veterans take are a big percentage of our criminal justice system mm-hmm. you know, because of their, you know, because of what they're exposed to in a military setting, you know, sometimes yeah. is them to get in trouble. And so with VIP now is we're trying to meet them in that point, you know, hopefully getting more involved in, you know, veterans treatment courts to help yeah. rehabilitation and be part of that, yeah. that process. But, and then I do the same thing. Um, so it's, I always love when my worlds collide. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> for a while, I thought like I had this military hat. And then I thought I had this, you know, civilian lawyer hat. And then mm-hmm. I had my yoga teacher hat. And now I get to like combine them all. Like I yeah. get to teach yoga at the, uh, to legal folks at the Bar Association. Um, and I get to teach yoga to veterans. And, you know, hopefully... We'll be teaching yoga to folks in the justice system um, that are veterans. But what I've been working on now is Karuna Community, Minnesota. Karuna in Sanskrit, uh, my favorite interpretation of it means compassionate action. Mm-hmm. Because I love the connection of you know, the, the mindfulness tools, like the meditation and the yoga, and how we use them to take care of ourselves. But like, what are we doing off the mat? Yes. And I need that action. Yeah. You know, I want it to be both. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's that these practices and then how are we implementing it? And so Karuna means compassionate action. Oh, I love that. And I was so drawn to it. I, yeah. like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, we're tying in, um, not we. It's, <laughs> I, I it's been around for... 
understand. Thousands of years. Yeah. Um, That's all good. Yeah. I'm not coming in and taking care, taking credit for years of Tibetan lineage. Um, But what you're doing. Yes. And so what we're doing, thank you for bringing me back. Yeah. (laughs) You know, yoga is offered at, you know, all these corporations, like you see it at like big corporations like Google, yeah. uh, you see it in like big federal government entities. And then there's like people that have money that can pay dollars, mm-hmm. you know, to drop in to a session, a session. So I started a nonprofit, um, with some wonderful people, you know, back in Minnesota and back in New York and Maryland. And our goal is to bring, you know, these tools, um, you know, that help people, um, to communities in need. Mm -hmm. So we want to work with, um, members of the justice community that are incarcerated. You know, right now our chief operating officer and president of the board, Jenilee Rowley is teaching, um, women in jail in Ramsey County, Minnesota. Um, we've been trying to get in to teach the men. We're working with, law school students on how to manage the trauma Mm -hmm. of their job. And then we have also supported other programs, you know, that help, um, women of East Africa, um, who have gone through like the immigration and refugee process, you know, when we're helping share with them the tools. And the idea is that, you know, we're not using mindfulness, you know, to perhaps make somebody, you know, a better like sniper on a rifle or a better employee at a corporation. Uh, you know, it's, it's compassion based. We're yeah. trying to hit those communities, um, that perhaps may not have access yeah. to it. Um, and we also do these seminars too, to help people in the field, like the social workers, the criminal defense lawyers, um, you know, folks involved with probation, mm-hmm. um, mitigation specialists who help you uh, do criminal sentencing so they really get to know your client. We're helping them manage the trauma of their jobs. Yeah, so the compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue, exactly. Because folks don't realize it, but when you're trying to help somebody and you're just giving everything and everything and everything, it's just like your car. Yeah. You know, if you don't stop putting gas and change the oil, it's going to break down. Exactly. And with us, it's the same thing as... I'm fortunate because I work with all these amazing people that, you know, are, they embody compassion and they give it to others, but oftentimes they don't take the time to like reset. And then that trauma has, you know, physical, uh, emotional manifestations in the body. Yes. So we work with these populations. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just been needed for yeah. so long. And in both the veteran and in their criminal justice community, there just seems to be, have been a void. Yeah. And we're, so we're, we're trying to, you know, fill that void or the space between. Would that be yes. a good word? Yeah, <laughs> we can throw it in whenever you want. <laughs> I um, find that it works pretty much anywhere yeah. you want it to be. And then just by doing it, it has the effects on me. Yeah. Uh, the beneficial effects. It's, it's like when you can give yourself to something, something that is like true and genuine and authentic service for no other purpose... It has so many healing yeah, components. Yeah, it it's very you know? healing. I mean, what you're doing is you're filling your own cup. I'm What I'm kind of envisioning was when you were talking about that, like the people who are helping in the criminal, 
criminal justice system, they are putting themselves out there all yeah. the time, pouring their heart and soul into saving someone, right? Yeah. But and there it is, it's hard for them to fill up their own cup, you know, or remi- reminding yeah. themselves. But because there might not be a resolution that is a positive resolution. Oh, yeah. But what you're doing is, even though you're creating that space and holding the space for them to fill their own cup, there's always a positive resolution. So your cup is getting filled too. So it is this beautiful cycle that is like filling each other's cups. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. Because it can be so frustrating when you perhaps get attached to the results in a system yeah. that is not inherently fair. Yeah. Um, and you just, you, you live the issues, you know, with, with your client and that client mm-hmm. typically has been through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's when they were a kid or trauma as an adult. Um, and then when you try to help them and you don't perhaps see the external Mm-hmm. results it does help to take a step back and say hey we together as a community as a practice can realize that we can only put the effort in yeah and we can't have attachment to these results and just gathering and having these conversations yeah is what helps and sometimes just hearing myself say it like because just because i preach it doesn't yeah. necessarily <laughs> mean i know i always practice it it's like with my son i say you know as i'm repeating my father it's like do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. But you can catch these patterns. The mm-hmm. more you say it, the more you talk about it, the more you practice it. Yeah. You know, you can work on yourself and work together, you know, as a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully what occurs has, you know, spreads. Yeah. And we can help people. We can help a community. And then it'll go into other communities, like, you know, with, you know, perhaps other, you know, do good or professions, like, you know, nurses, teachers, yeah. and, like, folks that could really benefit. Um. You're just taking the, you know, maybe it'd be just like a mindful pause. like. Yeah. Yes. So that was our time with Mike. And we, uh, we had a great conversation that uh, continued on talking about defining masculinity and what vulnerability is all about. Uh, and you can hear more at episode number 44. That was, I think, back in September that we that we let that air. Uh, and, um, yeah. And I thought, you know what, we have two other beautiful veteran women, warrior women who are part of our nomad and tribe. And so now we're going to sit and hear a little bit from our, um, our nomad teacher and tribe teacher, Amy, hear what she's, uh, speaking about. All right, so here I am today with Amy, one Hi. of yes, um, our nomad teacher and a founder of Tribe, and we will be doing our first weekend training uh, in a couple of weeks. Yes, it's really exciting. Yeah, so I've known you for almost a well, no, over, over a, year a year now. Yeah, we mm-hmm. met January. 2018. Right. And you did the 200 hour at West Point. Yes. It was wonderful. Yeah. And then you continued on. I guess Mm -hmm. we were doing something right. Yeah. (laughs) And I also sort of twisted your arm and said, you should no, I don't think so. I don't think so. No <laughs> twisting. <laughs> and uh, and then you continued on with the three hundred hour in the fall. Yes. And Jessica, who they have met on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, you both uh, with me um, are starting this new 
this new journey of mm-hmm. tribe. Yes. Yeah. It's been a lot of growth. Yeah. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. And we're going to talk a little bit. We pro- we might touch on those two at some point today, but we're really here because you are, um, you have children. You I have do. Two you kids. Can, yeah. You might be able to hear them. I'm not sure. Okay. No. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> I like it. It's going to be in the background. Maybe, maybe not. We had a podcast a few weeks ago with Therese and we thought that there were going to be toilets flushing the whole time in the background oh, yeah. and they yeah. couldn't hear anything. Yeah, so it's good. It's all good. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you have two children. I do. I have a f- almost, well, she, five-year-old is my son and eight-year-old is my daughter just turned eight. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you are a stay-at-home mom, I'm primarily. I'm a stay-at-home mom, yes. And you, would you like yes. to share? Yes, and I, I homeschool my kids, which is a path I never imagined. I, in fact, never <laughs> even thought that I would be a stay-at-home mom. My mom was primarily not a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And neither of my grandmothers were really even stay-at-home moms that much, yeah. um, which for that generation is something, um, is especially something. my dad's mom. So uh, I never had imagined that for myself. My husband never imagined it for me. Um, yeah. And certainly we'd never really imagined homeschooling until my daughter was about two. So, okay. Yes. So before we get there, I'm curious to know what did your mom and your grandmothers do? Um, my mom is, uh, has done a lot of different jobs, but, um, she taught English for a long time. She started as a psychologist, uh, probably not getting the guidance counselor, I should say, um, in different, she's been in psychiatric facilities. She's been in um, treatment facilities, uh, but mostly in uh, school counseling most recently. Okay. Yes. So that's interesting because yeah. you're taking her path, but in a different way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's not that I didn't imagine teaching. Um, I was in the army. Yeah. And then before that, though, I was trained to be a teacher and I taught okay. for a year in New Orleans after Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went in the army and I've never actually done traditional teaching since then. Okay. Um, other than yoga teaching. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Excellent. Yoga <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yes, we were um, a little bit, you know, not, not the path we decided to take, but um, as soon as my husband and I started looking into it, we didn't really take that much convincing. <laughs> okay. Why, yeah. what was it that was like um, spurred that? Like, you, sure. You, um, if you don't mind. I think a lot of different reasons when we always you know, of course, it's like the question that people ask most often. And you just kind of look at them like, I don't know, it just seems natural. Like, that's okay. just what we decided to do. Um, I think most often is that we want this sort of natural learning environment that learning can happen in all places at all times. Yeah. Um, not necessarily to like a set schedule and a set location. Uh, and also this innate love of learning and um, a passion to follow what you would like to follow versus what others mm-hmm. tell you you can follow. Yeah. Um, and so that being said, I do have to constantly remind myself of that. Right? <laughs> because, um, um, like, what am I doing here? And, yeah. you know, as I structure my days and, um, yeah, I think that's a lot of the, the vulnerability of homeschooling is yeah. that um, there are a lot of outside pressures and, there's laws, but even, you know, the laws aren't very strict, but, you know, there's a bus that passes by the house every day, multiple times a day. And then sometimes I'll see it pass by in the morning and, you know, my kids are still in bed or my daughter, not my son, he's <laughs> definitely an early riser, but, and then it'll pass in the afternoon and there's 10 days where I'm like, oh, we actually haven't started school yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if we should do that today. So, um, yeah, there's this constant yeah. flow of 
you should be doing this. You should be doing that. They should be here. They should be doing that. Got it. Um, so I do have to remind myself, why or what did I want to get out of this? Yeah. And so when you were, you were saying your daughter was two then, um, when you were starting to decide. So yeah, your husband's still in the army. So did that, was that a factor? That is also a factor. Um, it does make it really easy to travel to see my family. I'm very, we are very blessed to have incredibly supportive families who will, um, take us in whenever, which is good for an upcoming move. Um, and so I can do that again, you know, the idea of like Education happens wherever. I can take vacations when we want to take vacations. Um, We tend to school year-round, by and large, um, but maybe take, you know, a week off every few months or something, or just frankly, you know, maybe we'll do four days a week, um, do longer weekends. Um, And then, right, the idea of being able to move and not have to worry about constant changing of school and having consistency within that is definitely a selling point. Okay. And then, so when you, when your daughter was two and you were kind of contemplating that and you said, you know, you're trying to figure out what that would look like for you, like, sure. what did you envision it then? Not knowing what you know now, but sure. what were you? Um, I think that one of the big reasons that drew us in homeschooling, I, I knew from the beginning that I was going to take it year by year. Okay. Um, that, you know, if it's not working for us, I'm not going to force it. Okay. And, and I think that it can be different with kids, right? I mean, just some people get along and some kids and parents get along, then yeah. that's right. People, kids are people. Um, <laughs> they are people. I know. Sometimes you'd, you'd be surprised, right? <laughs> How sometimes people don't realize. Um, <laughs> and so with that being said, from the beginning, I was very much shaking it year by year. So um, I very much saw preschool and kindergarten as just playtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the initial regions to, towards homeschooling is because I just saw too much sitting and, um, focused effort for when we should just be outside playing. Yeah. Um, and maybe like snippets of reading and and that, that being said, I read with my kids for hours (laughs) most days. Um, but primarily playing. So yeah, I saw a lot of playing and that's, that's what we still do. They're technically, um, kindergarten and second grade now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yes. So, uh, so now that you, you know, that was when she was two. So that was three years ago, right? Oh, like, she's eight. Now. Oh, she's eight. Sorry. Like five years ago. Fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking grades. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was five years ago. So, uh, how has that started to change a bit? Yes, it, um, has started to change a bit. Uh, I feel like it's been a pretty natural change. Um, yeah. you know, I feel as though going back to our reason of homeschooling, individuals, especially children, have a natural desire to learn. Yeah. Um, and so it's just figuring out how to tap into that yeah. and how to run with it and not mm-hmm. smother it um, because it can be really easy to smother it. It's like, oh, you are interested in math today? Yes. Like, we'll just do all the math today. Well, you know, they wanted to do like five minutes of math by measuring the M&Ms that you were giving them. Yeah. So and, everything is a lesson. Right. To yeah. a certain extent. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but finding that um uh that balance. And so that's I think one of the other vulnerability pieces is that your um yeah, homeschool parent, all all parents of course, but I think especially homeschool parents is there's like no no break, you know. They're they're with me yeah. all the time. Um was that something that you had been thinking about prior to? Like, oh, they're going to be with me at all. Yeah, not as much. And in fact, when people tell me that 
they want to homeschool, I say, like, you realize, like, you'll be eating with them three times a day <laughs> and, like, all the snacks. And then sometimes, you know, my husband's like, why does it bother you so much X, Y, Z at the table or something? I'm like, well, because I've been looking at that for two hours today already. And so <laughs> it was totally okay at breakfast. It was totally okay at lunch. And it was now... okay at snacks. And now it's dinner. And it's not okay anymore. I, <laughs> like, that habit needs to go. Um, and, yes, so it's that we are, and I think that's, um, where did we start here? What, one, one of the things um, that has most surprised me about homeschool, about oh, where, where we've come from, mm -hmm. um, I think is something that got me into yoga the most growing, uh, knowing just, so when I became a parent, I knew like I needed to change, mm -hmm. right? Like that is the most profound change that I have um, yeah been through and I knew that I needed to get things together mm -hmm. so that others could get things together. Mm -hmm. Um, and homeschooling is like that too. I constantly have to school myself mm. before I can ever school them. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily on subjects, but just on life, you know, and, and going back to the idea of what is school. Well, at this age, I'm ultimately teaching them to be, you know, we've already said they're people, right? But I want them <laughs> to be um, good, good people. And I want yeah. them to live in a better world. Yeah. And I think that they can be part of that better world. Yeah. Um, and so just continually focusing on having them develop their internal controls. And mm -hmm. if that means like this morning, for example, before you came, we were going to do most of our quote unquote schoolwork. Mm -hmm. Um, instead I was screamed at for 30 minutes that <laughs> <laughs> I, um, like have violated their trust because I missed a, I don't know, a lot, but there was a lot of screaming and it was all directed at me. Yeah. Um, but big ideas, right? You, you learn through this, wow, you know, she's really scared of math. Mm. She really, uh, I had gotten a problem wrong because okay. I had just glanced at it and okay. she's like, you know, I, I trusted you. I trusted you oh. to be my teacher. And you're not even giving me the right answers now. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. And it's some big <laughs> ideas, right? Yeah. Um, you know, now, and then as more she's, screaming comes out, she's like, now you're going to send this up to the school. And now the school's going to think we don't know anything. And now I'm going to be forced to go into the school. You know, oh, wow. you never know. She's like, got what's a lot going on a in lot. there. Yeah. yeah. You never know what, what's a little so wise deep. One there. Exactly. <laughs> What else? And so, you know, we didn't end up doing any math this morning because, of course, that was the first problem. <laughs> um, but you, you realize, again, going back to the developing these internal controls, that there's always so much more. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're in a public setting, of course, that gets suppressed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you never... Yeah. Find out what I was know. in the back there. Can we kind of look at that situation sure. and just see, like, what would that look like if she yeah. had done this at school? You know, let's say it was her teacher that by chance got it wrong. Sure. And then what What do you feel like, what would a possible scenario look oh, like? Oh, man. I, I mean, I wonder no, that every day. I, I have a very sensitive daughter. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know us, <laughs> she, um, you know, if everyone else is operating at a two, she's operating at a 10 yeah. and whether that's happiness or excitement mm -hmm. or frustration, uh, or anxiety. So, um, man, I, I don't know. I've always, I, I think that it would 
come that she would come home and have a lot of meltdowns at home. I think yeah. she would be able to suppress and not suppress really share the, the reason why. Not she might not really share the reason why. Processed it because exactly it was like pacified so quickly. Right. Right. She didn't really say something. Maybe she didn't. Would maybe she didn't wouldn't have said something to her teacher and then right. just acted out on you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it goes back, you know, to these. Right. Yeah. The ability to be able to express yourself and express yeah. real feelings. And, and that takes, right? I mean, I still work on that every day, right? Like kids yes. see, I, like, yeah. again, we, we're together all the time. The kids have seen like a lot of meltdowns and I've tend to become very verbal about. With your, yourself. With myself. Yeah. Now I am doing this. Okay. Now I am walking into the other room because okay. I need a break. And now <laughs> I'm taking a breath. And, yeah. um, so there's watching them see that. you work through your own own patterns. Right. And hopefully it sounds like you're catching theirs as they could possibly be turning into patterns. Sure. Right. And because you're getting to see that information so much more quickly mm-hmm. than as opposed to like not having those eight hours a day or whatever right. away from them. And then just kind of like, why is she acting out? You're yeah. actually seeing it live. And Absolutely. It can be challenging. It sounds like sure. because you're in it too and yep. dealing with your own stuff. Sure. Um, but it sounds like the work that you're doing very consciously um, is working through your own stuff at the same time, helping her with her own past karma stuff that she brought into yeah. this world or, um, or just, you know, learning how to be a human being. Absolutely. <laughs> um, however you want to look at it. That's yeah. very quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you don't mind sharing, cause you were saying before you had them, you thought, okay, you knew, realized you needed to change. Mm-hmm. And so is that something that was that on the, the list of kind of looking at your own um, anxieties, it sounds like? Was that um, yeah, the... I think just as soon as my daughter was born, um, or soon, I, soon, you know, maybe for her first couple of years, I was like, I need to take a different approach to, mm-hmm. um, you know, Yourself. when you have a sensitive child, right, you can tell from early on that yeah. like my um, habitual reactions are not what I want them to be and not, not, um, what I want my children's to be. Um, so how can I be more conscious within that? Um, so I started meditating at that. Well, I started, I've always been very physical, um, with movement. And so I started to do more physical practice of yoga at that point and then more, um, meditation and seated meditation and a lot of um, reading Mm. and things. Yeah. That's interesting to see how, you saw something within yourself from your daughter and said, oh, okay, this is actually, yes, she has the sensitivity, but it's actually a lot of my own stuff. Sure. And to call yourself and, and say, okay, let me bring in these other tools for me first. Yeah. Yeah. It's always our own stuff. So that is our time with Amy. And again, she is an army veteran, a nomad teacher one of the founders of Tribe, our nonprofit, We Teach Resilience, Increased Balance, and Endurance. And she's also a VYP teacher. So we did our mindful resilience training together at Veterans Yoga Project, along with Jessica, who will be on in a moment. Uh, we did that back in January. But if you want to hear the rest of Amy's uh, interview, it's a podcast number 31. And I just, it was such a pleasure sitting and hearing her 
journey as a mom and as a teacher and just really how she held, holds herself accountable, right? As she said, it's all her own stuff so that she can be this better mom and teacher for her, her children. And, you know, just being able to witness it um, as her friend and colleague and, and mentor teacher this past couple of years, it's been, it's been interesting to watch her grow as well so, um, using these tools of the, the yoga practice to, to ju- do just that for her, her children. Uh, So now let's go ahead and hear from Jessica. She shares a bit of her journey, her healing journey um, through yoga. And uh, yeah, let's hear what she has to say here. When I was, I'm not even sure I shared this with you yet. Um, When I was in Iraq, my very actual first mission um, with a platoon was, uh, I was a medic, you know, on the platoon and we were going out to do, um, just, a routine peacekeeping mission. And, uh, I was stationed, uh, at a little fob called, um, Camp War Eagle, which there's actually a book written about, which is pretty phenomenal. I read that recently with my husband. It was great and very, um, therapeutic. Um, but, uh, it's right outside of Sadr City, which is um, right outside of Baghdad, and uh, we came across a mass casualty, and um, that was uh, okay. Here we go. This was, you know, I was a little um, E3, <laughs> very young in my career, and uh, thankfully at that time there was a medic that was uh, with special forces for a short period of time during the deployment, and uh, we got out, and he went over to someone that was severely injured, and. Um, I was handed a baby that wasn't breathing, and um, I remember putting the baby down, and uh, I remember just, you know, like having this out-of-body experience and looking up at, you know, the other medic and kind of feeling that chaos around you, and I just really didn't want to be there. (laughs) I really did not want to be there. But I went towards that training, you know, the military, our military is number one, (laughs) because we train and train and train. We practice and practice and practice. And um, in good units and good leadership, you practice as though you're actually there, you're doing it. Um, And so everyone knows what their job is, what their responsibility is when things happen. And uh, so I just said, okay. I think, really, I think that this was the first practice of understanding that my breath was able to calm me down, you know, now looking back on it, um, because that's what I did. I took a deep breath, I paused, and I looked over at the other medic, and I looked down at the baby, and as I started doing things, I looked back up, and I said, do you need anything else? You know, I was able to communicate and work, and it was just... Um, after that moment, I really knew, okay, I'm pretty sound in, um, traumatic, you know, um, events and, um, emergency service events. I'm very, uh, I become a leader in that. That's just a talent that I've been, you know, it was bestowed to me. Nothing that I think I really, of course you work at things, but anyhow, breath really became something that I knew, but I couldn't, con- like, intuitively I knew, but um, cerebrally, am I saying that right? Cerebrally, I couldn't. Yeah, you didn't have the vocabulary no. yet no. to, to ar- say, oh, this is why I'm doing this, but no. you just knew intuitively, okay, I need to take a breath to calm myself and right. be grounded for this you know, situation that is here. 
And later in Afghanistan, I went back to that breath when I had the yoga mat. There were times in my hooch <laughs> by myself, and there were two other women um, on this camp with me. One was my soldier, so there was no way I was at that time who I was, was not going to share my true feelings, what I was really going through, um, you know, for many different reasons. Again, I thought that that was being strong, not sharing mm -hmm. my fear and um, anger. You know, it was just... Um, not how I feel now, but it was a, it was a tool then that I used, I suppose. But and then the other woman, she was always busy. Um, she was an intelligence officer, so I would really I had to coax myself to go to bed. I thought I was not going to wake up. Mm. Um, I had so much anxiety, um, and I just would feel my heartbeat and mm. lay there and pray really and just listen to my breath and you know again I didn't know what I was doing um yeah you were doing everything very intuitively and then when you started to practice yoga were there little light bulbs going off going oh my gosh I've been <coughs> doing this this whole time yes yeah. yes absolutely along the way and I at first yeah I just knew I felt so good I had need you know I needed to go back um and I wanted to um I found people that gave a lot of the philosophy and it wasn't simply just um, a workout too mm -hmm. um, and really taught the practices of pranayama, of breath work. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, you sound like you're very in touch with these tools before you even had that vocabulary to work with. But um, this is one of our missions through Tribe is to bring these tools to active military. So can you speak a little bit on how you think that that could actually have been different shaping mm -hmm. your experience being, um, um, you know, being deployed and being active service member. Absolutely. Um, so as I said, you know, just even that first mission um, and, and taking it back. So, you know, <laughs> we may be told, okay, we're having this mission, you know, next week, um, this big mission, we need to prepare for this, but no one really knows. There may be, you know, a few people, and typically those people are not anywhere located on the camp that you're at. So even your commanders, you know, and um, enlisted personnel, um, you know, they, they don't maybe know exactly what's going on. Um, however, you know, a lot of the missions you do, and a lot of the missions are, um, uh, public relations, you know, um, winning the hearts and minds and trying to, um, change a culture, you know, which is what we're trying to do with tribe. Yeah. Um, so the unknown, um, really having a lot of that unknown. And I think, um, if, you know, I, if I had had the practice of meditation and the practice of, um, understanding how the breath can, you can move within your breath or with alongside and together with your breath, um, it would have been easier to accept the unknown because that is a lot of what you go through in the military um, from basic training to your individual um, school training and then getting to your unit. You don't know what PT is going to be and if you're someone that um, really struggles with TP, PT, particularly running when you're in, I was um, 
uh, in the 82nd Airborne, and there's a lot of running you do in that unit. Um, my very first PT session was actually a seven-mile run, and Dad, you know, was an ultra runner, and um, <laughs> so running was a part of my life too, mm-hmm. but um, I hadn't kept with that running practice. So, again, another skill that I was given was, you know, being a good runner, but that distance and that pace of running, you know, really, um, really scared me. And so my mindset, all this negative limiting thoughts, um, would kind of, uh, like fail me, I guess, before I even had a chance to allow my body and mind to, um, to try, but, geez, breath is so important. And if we learn, if we can learn how to, control our breath, particularly when we're running, um, we can be more at ease and allow our body to continue to move or engage different muscles um, when, you know, our other muscles are fatigued. Um, it's, It's a tool that I know works, and it's a tool that I know works for many other veterans um, that I've been in touch with um, or have read, done research on. Um, and so why, why would we not want to show other people this tool that you don't have to spend money on and yeah. <laughs> you really, truly don't? Yeah, you don't. And it can be incorporated into the PT, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, even I, marksmanship, weapons marksmanship, we talk a lot about, or the military talks a lot about, going with your natural um, rhythm of your breath. So before you are actually firing, when you're in your Mm -hmm. prone position or standing, really getting your breath um, and your body in unison, right? Mm -hmm. So we already, the military uses these yoga philosophies, but we don't quite say it's yoga. Maybe because of the stigmas of yoga, I'm not sure. Um, But uh, so... So your teach that. your intention is just to make it a bit more um, widely accepted, even though they're kind of sprinkling these tools mm-hmm. throughout their training. You would like it to be more of a part of the culture. Um, it sounds like so that they're just more readily accessible to them. Absolutely, yeah. um, and so being downrange, being deployed, um, you don't always have gym equipment. Um, you know, and all you really need, you don't even need a yoga mat. All you need is a small space, which you have your little cot, you know, and, or in your Humvee or whatever the contraption is that, that you're, you know, driving in. Um, that's all you need is yourself and a few moments to be with yourself. And again, it's, it's, uh, efficient. It's accessible for every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Yeah, these are these are uh, tools that I think can ground people, and they also make people, um, I believe, um, to just step outside of themselves and um, see the much broader picture, um, not what they, you know, through their lens. Which, as a leader, you truly need to be able mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Um, not seeing things through, you know, your lens can really, um, really be life or death for someone. And so, Stephen, I, when we, when we first met, I, I really, um, appreciated how you sat down and you said, I'm not a yogi, but, and you, you listed all these things that you did. And, 
Um, what did I say to you? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> you did. I, I am a... Yeah. Yogi. Yeah. You actually are a yogi, right? Because we do. We have all of these tools, and um, no, I, I I see how how the, it all goes together. Yeah. That it's just another way of coming to the same point. Yeah. You know, we all need to have a way to deal with mm-hmm. all the craziness in our lives and the stress. I mean, the stress stress kills people. It's you know, it's something that I see every day at work and dealing with the public and people are way too stressed. <laughs> you know, I'm always telling people, relax, take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, you're a guru. <laughs> and I don't think about it as, you know, I just think about it as that's been my way of life. Yeah. That's how I've coped with things, you know. Yeah, and it sounds like you've passed that on to Jessica, you know. I've tried extent. to pass it on to Even everybody before, I come yeah. come near. Yeah, yeah Dad <laughs> taught me um, to run. I know a lot of people are maybe well, maybe people will watch this and think taught you to run. Don't you really? Isn't that like something intuitively? But um, Dad it's, did it's a technique. Yeah, it's an art. It's yes. definitely an art. Yeah, he I'm sure. would take me out and we'd go run like a mile and uh, around the neighborhood, and then he'd drop me off and he'd speed away. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I'm done. This is my warm up. Yeah. But it was always like focused on my breath and uh, my posture. Your breath, your posture. Yeah. Being relaxed. Yeah. You know, not, not having tight, be tight and to flow, you know, to have your arms flow. It's, you know, it, it definitely yoga is, you know, all the, it's, they're all forms of art. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we can, as individuals, can find a way to make our life less stressful mm-hmm. and to cope with the things that we, you know, we need to cope cope with. I know people, you know, when you tell them, well, just deep breath or, you know, get out and take a walk, whatever you might be trying to tell them or trying to teach them. If more people would listen, actually listen, it's it's life changing. It it makes it makes us better people because we're not we're not quick to to anger and we mm-hmm. yeah. and we think a little bit more before we say things that might hurt people and and we find ways to do whatever we do better. So it's it's real important, and, and the first thing that people do when you try to introduce them to anything is, I don't need that, mm-hmm. you know? Right, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I was thinking that there's um, really something to, you know, what you said about um, looking at yourself. Yoga, you know, you asked me what did, like, yoga bring to you, I think was the question, or how did it make you feel? And... Um, it was a mirror to my life. It, it truly was. It was a mirror to my life. And so I stopped being the victim in a lot of situations and I stopped blaming other people. And, um, I stopped, um, I, I just, I stopped (laughs) and I looked in that mirror and, uh, it, it did, it saved my life. It truly, uh, it truly did. And, um, being able to not, um, be so judgmental anymore, um, 
you know, and to see where other people are coming from. A lot of times the things that um, we do to each other, um, you know, the other person's just hurting maybe. And if we recognize that it's not about us always, um, we can be there to allow them to see that and heal themselves. And and then we can learn a lesson. Um, So it sounds like this is not only very personal mission for you, Jessica, but also for you, Stephen, because you've been kind of with this mission your whole life in a way. Yeah, if if there's a way that I can help tribe to get, get... Get the message out to people. Yeah. Yeah, it's another it's another form of getting the message out. Yeah. And it it means a lot to me that people have skills and tools in order to be able to cope with their lives. Yeah. I know how how PTSD and I know how the stress my youngest son has who I had adopted from Kazakhstan when he was five, so he's he's got some uh, stages of life that he never actually uh, got through. And seeing him going into the Coast Guard and all the things that he's afraid of and not wondering how he can cope with everything that he's got to cope with you know and and he can't he doesn't know how to take a deep breath mm-hmm. he doesn't you know exercise to him he doesn't like to sweat <laughs> he doesn't he did it before he went because he knew he needed to be prepared mm-hmm. so he's got a lot of real skills that a lot of us don't have as because he focuses on his whole life and he and he can make sense of a lot of things, but something he can't make sense of is in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I see this 20-year-old who has had a really rough start, but I see a lot of other kids that age and a lot of people throughout their life, they've just never learned to deal with everything in the life that... and. You, you can't deal with it by drinking. You can't deal with it by ignoring the problems, you know. You can't be hostile to the people around you. You you need to find something that can, you know, yeah. can ground you, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't necessarily, we have these issues, we may never get rid of them, but if we can learn to cope with things in our lives and do it, to, to the best possible way we can do it, then, you know, it's a better place. Yeah. And I really think that Tribe is trying to do something that could certainly help, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And the neat thing about doing anything like this and making it your lifestyle you affect other people. So that is our special episode of our um, Veterans Gratitude Week in honor of Veterans Yoga Project, um, one of our favorite nonprofit organizations that we have partnered with. And again, if you um, are 
interested in helping out uh, this organization, there are classes going on all around the country and a couple international classes as well. So go to veteransyogaproject.org to find out where you can attend class. And um, and you, again, you don't have to be a veteran. <laughs> you can go there. Most of them are yoga studios in different parts of the community centers, I'm sure. So go over to their website. You can find out. You just go and look up where you are, and they'll they'll have classes nearby. Um, really special organization doing really great things. And again, it's been such a pleasure being able to sit down with so many people this past year um, who are veterans and associated with Veterans Yoga Project. And again, um, thank you all if you are veterans and listening to this. Thank you so much for your service. We are very, very grateful for you here, especially here in Nomadland. And it's been a very healing journey listening to the stories of these veterans for myself, and I hope for you too, if you're not a veteran, and being able to hear all these different perspectives and um, getting to see into their eye from their eyes and various ways and how they're healing and how they're helping heal our world. So um, that is it. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you.